Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Expert Answers from Inside Scientific. Inside Scientific is the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today, we are joined by Hassan Ayaz, Fraser Finley, and Kurtulis Isatoglu. Hassan and Kurtulis are associate research professors in the School of Biomedical Engineering, Science, and Health Systems at Drexel University. Frazier is the CEO of Biopack Systems, a company known for their high-quality physiology measurement tools. They are here to speak about the fundamentals of FNIRS and to present new research capabilities enabled through the integration of optical brain imaging technology and physiological recording systems. Let's jump in. We've had a couple uh, questions come in about how FNIR compares with fMRI, particularly bold signals, and could you comment on that? Sure. This is a very uh, good question. fMRI, functional magnetic resonance imaging, bold signal, a blood oxygen dependent signal, actually measures the hemodynamic response. And FNIRS is also measuring uh, this hemodynamic response. So the underlying physiological, neurophysiological phenomenon is the same. Uh, but they are using different modalities, different type of technologies, like fMRI using the superconductive magnet, huge uh, device versus FNIRS using near-infrared light with a variable um, platform. And of course, there are different features, like uh, fMRI allows measurement of the uh, entire brain versus FNIRS can only measure outer cortex closer to the skin uh, outside of the um, brain. But also there are differences of the signal itself. FMRI has very high temp spatial resolution, like on millimeter scale, versus FNIRS is on centimeter lower spatial resolution. But on the other side, FNIRS has a very high temporal resolution that is very uh, fast measurements can be done uh, to look at the higher temporal dynamics uh, of the signals. So as you can see, there are advantages and disadvantages to both, but I guess it's important to understand from FNIR's uh, perspective that fMRI literature presents excellent opportunities to understand and explore different experimental paradigms that can be actually used uh, as preliminary results to understand which brain areas, if relevant to FNIR's measurements areas, for that specific protocol and can be replicated with FNIR's uh, measurements. So this is an active research area, but it is uh, very synergistic and uh, relevant. I guess, um, I hope this gives uh, an overview, because this is such an important topic that even we can have a whole presentation lecture just on this. Well, that was a great answer. Thank you, Asan. Next question, I'm going to ask this to Kurtulis. Uh, what is the typical operator learning curve, and what uh, is the FNIR calibration process. You, you, it was discussed a bit in our presentation, but maybe you could go over it and expand a bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm just going, to, I, we don't have any quantitative data. I just, my answer to this question will rely on our experience in the field because we are really applied researchers and we work on the development of this technology and as well as the use of this technology in the field. And we experience two main components in the training, during the training. One is the making sure the system is up and running. And this, and the operators are comfortable running the, the copy and acquiring the data. And that, if we, if we just mention about that part, you know, like getting the system up and running and, uh, and the, using the copy, 
really straightforward answer to your question in terms of the learning curve, like experience versus learning. I, I would say sh very short. Okay. However, I just want to I just want to uh, be frank here in terms of to getting the uh, acquiring high quality signal requires some experience and some familiarization with the with the, with, with the sensor pad. We use that sensor pad that the the part we use on the forehead. Mm -hmm. I think that 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 may require some some time to make sure we get, we are getting the we are acquiring really the high quality signal. What I meant actually in the first presentation, you saw like a four different uh, graphs, like one graph showing the for example motion, some spikes. Mm. Those are we call it motion artifact. And some some Hassan showed you know like the uh, very very weak contact with the skin. So we have to be like we have to train ourselves and we have to practice in terms of getting this kind of high quality and make sure what we get in what we are acquiring is com completely from the cortical area interest to us, not just the superficial or not just the uh, environment noise. Perfect. No, that's a great answer. Yeah. Very good. Actually, kind of along this lines, we've had a question come in just about are there any tips and tricks for optimizing the location of the sensory pad, particularly along the periphery? I, I'm assuming that's maybe the, the, an area where it's most challenging to get a good signal. That's what I'm extrapolating from this question. Is that exactly. correct? Exactly, yes. Yeah. So any tips from you guys? I think I think uh, I just wanted to like the localization. This is critical. So uh, we, uh, we suggest some standardization for that. Like nose is a reference, and we have a middle point on the on the sixteen channel system. Okay. So that should that should point to nose, and as well as we always place the sensor on just on slightly above the eyebrows, mm -hmm. and we should follow the same approach for each subject, regardless of the size of the forehead. Because there's a, yeah high variances in this uh, in the forehead size, but we should stick to the original plan. Okay. Just uh, above the eyebrows and uh, pointing the nose. Yeah. Just to add, it's just about using the anatomical landmarks, and yeah. also in uh, like in uh, in EEG literature, like international ten to any system, that those uh, specific uh, landmarks can also be uh, used across the horizontal and vertical symmetry axis of the sensor pad. And we actually we uh, outline some of these procedures with even with visually in the Journal of uh, Visualized Experiments uh, publication that uh, in, came out in 2011, actually. Okay, perfect. That might be helpful as well. Great. The other point as well to mention, Andy, is you know on a very practical level, the systems ship with headband headbands. Yes. And those do a pretty good job of holding the sensor in place. And if needs be, you can actually use two headbands. And sort of not only does it help hold the array in place, but it also helps to eliminate uh, light as well, ambient light. Great. On a Excellent. Great input. Okay. Um, next question. Uh, I'm going to ask this to you, Fraser. Is it possible to synchronize the physiological data and FNIR imaging data with a video recording either of the subject or of what the subject is viewing? And I think you touched on this, but maybe you can just, again, review for the audience how that actually works. Yeah, there's a couple of ways in which this can be done. If you're just doing classic video monitoring and you're in the lab and you've got static video cameras set up, the video can be fully synchronized with the physiological data and the optical brain imaging and any stimulus presentation system. 
but it's also possible to take that a step further if you're doing mobile applications you can sort of in addition you can use the eye tracking glasses they also have a camera on them so you can see exactly where the participant is looking and what they're doing at any given moment in time and then all of that becomes synchronized with the physiological signals as well okay excellent Going back to, well, just signal acquisition or, or you know, co-registering data, Allison has asked, how can subjects wear both EEG and FNIR, the headband, together? Is there any special way to, to arrange that on a, on a subject? We have actually completed several studies using EEG and FNIRs published, some already, and depending on, you know, the EEG cap, we can just place the FNIR sensor first and then the EEG cap on top of it, or vice versa. So one issue is the frontal electrodes like FP1 and FP2 and it is uh, you know possible that they are usually contaminated with eye blinks and other facial muscles in any case so skip them we don't include them so that makes the integration easier but if you want to include them then you can actually attach those electrodes independent of the head cap and record those underneath the sensor pad as well just want to add that two things. I would suggest strongly suggest that the, they kind of look for they should look for the AEG caps with the, it comes with the free electrodes so that you can easily like play around, place it. And second, B alert has a good system also. You can just put as a cap on top of the FNIR. I think we use it together and it's we don't we don't experience any problem except just the forehead sensors as on machine. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Uh, Hassan, we, the B-Alert headset, the uh, electrode array is held in place using a headband, so the headband can actually be used to hold the FNIR sensor array in place as well. And then with that device, not only do you get the raw EEG, you also get the cognitive states metrics as well, so you get engagement, workload, etc., etc. Yeah, exactly. very good. Okay, great. And moving in a different direction, Spencer has asked, when data is removed by filtering due to unwanted artifact, do you recommend a method of managing missing data? So this is going back to FNIRSOFT in the, in the process you showed, Hassan. And there's also some uh, suggestions here or some question marks, uh, mean substitution, Windsoring, uh, multiple imputation. Can you perhaps comment on that? Sure. So, depends, of course, on the level of contamination and the experimental protocol. But if you're uh, going to do block analysis over a large uh, number of blocks, uh, and it is possible that if the block is long enough, the contamination may not cover the entire block itself, like only a small portion of that, then if you get an average activation of that area, taking out, rejecting the uh, contaminated uh, part, like the spikes, will uh, not be a problem, we will get the mean and we will get a representative value for that specific iteration. And if we don't do that, we will have the spikes and it will bias the data. So we want to apply the rejection and remove that. If the contamination is a lot and then if we are uh, actually losing the entire block, then uh, it is important that we have multiple iterations of the same subject and then more subjects so that we have enough data. And then in the statistical analysis, if you uh, apply uh, more uh, sophisticated uh, versions of like uh, linear mixed models that uh, do not require equal number of samples from each compared group, for example, can take care of such um, unbalanced data. 
So I hope um, this helps. But there are also uh, tools, uh, methods to fix uh, missing uh, values, such as using the group average and other methods if you want to apply parametric and other methods like ANOVA. Okay. No, that's great. And, and perhaps this is another question in line with this on FNIRSOFT, but Caroline has asked, does it, does it matter the order in which you apply low pass and, and the SMAR filter that you demonstrated? Yes, but again, depends on the contamination, but I would uh, say uh, you can uh, apply the low-pass filter and then the uh, SMART for a more liberal analysis. Okay. All right. I'm just going to ask one more final simple question. We've had a ton of stuff come in, guys, but we're going to get to answering all this as part of the Q&A report. So just someone has, a couple of people have asked about maintenance uh, of the equipment. So... Uh, let's break this into two parts. So that we talked about um, obviously the FNIR device. What is the standard kind of cleaning and maintenance of that equipment so going from subject to subject to subject? Mm -hmm. And then also, Fraser, I'd like you to comment on anything particular for the uh, like the EDA sensors or anything like that that yeah. you demonstrated today. So the FNIR guys, you go first. Sure. Just to say the maintenance is simple. You just clean the surface of the sensor pad with an alcohol uh, wipe or like an, um, some uh, kind of uh, antiseptic just to clean any kind of uh, you know, dirt or anything from the surface of the sensor. There is no other special uh, you know, concern. So we also want to make sure that we clean the skin of the participant as well. Especially this is important for um, like uh, special uh, you know, uh, chemicals like fondotan makeup mm -hmm. is present that would um, actually affect the measurements. It will lower the SNR. So we want to clean that before data collection as well. Okay. That's a good tip. Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And before... Uh, the before each use, please just to clean up the sensor. And second, I strongly suggest, I mean, I keep saying this to every time I talk to the, our <laughs> operators, please, please keep the sensor pad straight, like on a straight surface, uh, surface after the use. Like they are so, because they are so flexible, but mm. please keep in mind that there is an electronics surface mount system in there. So just to keep it very uh, straight and on a, like a, on a, a concrete or on a how do you say it? Uh, a flat surface very, yeah just yeah, so that it surface. yes yes thank you yeah lay it, lay it flat yeah. no, it's perfect yeah, lay flat <laughs> that's critical because i saw a couple of times you know they just bend it over and keep it like that and it's it it, it will help <laughs> yeah no that's great great feedback uh, Fraser, um how about you uh, for the uh, physiological measurement systems yeah i was just going to add on to a little bit about oh, sure. the FNIR stuff the mm -hmm. the latest system ship with multi-sensor arrays now as well and the point that was just made about making sure the sensors are kept flat that's sort of critical really that the connection point is at the end of the sensor array so it's only the array that has to be packed away safely and if you've got a piece of card or something like that you just you know place it on top of that mm -hmm. um, for safekeeping in terms of the physiological stuff it's really pretty straightforward we recommend the use of disposable electrodes both for eda and for ecg um, preparation for eda just add a little bit of a dab of gel on the disposable electrode not a lot just a little bit mm -hmm. place the electrode you don't have to use alcohol you don't have to abrade the skin you should not do that for eda maybe just wash the hands before not even with soap just with tepid water 
mm -hmm. dry them thoroughly. And then for ECG, we do recommend abrading the skin just to make sure that when you apply the electrode, you're getting good skin contact. We also recommend the use of an impedance checker, so you can just check impedance levels before. But other than that, it's really low maintenance. Peel and stick and throw the electrodes away after the use. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you will tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. For the full webinar, please see the link in the description. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'll see you next time.